So uh, welcome to Cavanaugh Church. It's going to be an awesome day, great singing, and uh, appreciate our praise team. Uh, Luke chapter 19 is where I'm going to read here in a moment. Wonderful story that Jesus uh, gives us as he encounters a man who has a need in his life, and Jesus meets that need. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save those who are spiritually lost. Okay, That was Jesus' mission. That's why Jesus left heaven and came to earth. That's why Jesus died on the cross and rose again. He came to seek and to save lost people. Are you, you with me? There, there's an old preacher story, uh, one of my favorite illustrations. And you know what? Some of the old ones are the best ones. Story about uh, what happened in heaven after Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the tomb, and then ascended into heaven. He made it back up to heaven, and, and there were a little group of angels waiting to receive him. And Jesus got up there, and they started this dialogue. And they wanted Jesus to give the details of the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. And Jesus told them everything that, that happened, and that now the good news of the gospel was available to all men. Anyone who believes can be saved. And the angels were rejoicing. They were so happy and so glad. And they said, but, but Jesus, tell us, tell us your plan for getting the good news told to everyone in the world. And Jesus said, well, I, I hand chose 12 good men. And I entrusted them with the good news of the gospel. And what's going to happen is they're going to go out and tell people who will respond and they'll tell other people. And you know what? Before long, the, the whole world will know my plan of salvation. And angels kind of shook their head and, and one of them said, you mean you entrusted God's plan of salvation with humans? <laughs> and then another angel spoke up and said, well, Jesus... What's plan B? <laughs> What's plan? Can I tell you what? There is no plan B. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. And in this passage, Jesus shows us how to do that. Here we are, Luke chapter 19. Are you there? Yes, sir. I think all my ameners uh, didn't make it today. So would some of y'all volunteer? Yes, sir. <laughs> I think we're going to need more than that. How about you? Would you? Oh, Lord, please help us today. Here we are, Luke chapter 19. Here it is. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree so that he could see him. For Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Okay, now get this. He was what? He was rich, very wealthy. And now he is saying, Lord, I will give half of my goods to who? The poor. 
And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. In fact, I want you to read that last sentence out loud with me. Are you ready? Here we go. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving us so much that you came to seek us. And dear Lord, thank you for salvation. I pray that you would uh, give new life to those who are in need of it today. And for the rest of us, Lord, may we get a passion to tell the good news to our lost family members and friends. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus came to seek and to save people who are spiritually lost. And as we walk with Jesus today in Luke chapter 19, we're going to learn how to do that, okay? Because you know what? Jesus is the best, okay? Jesus is the greatest. He came to seek and to save lost people, and he's going to show us how to do that today. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to learn something, let me learn it from the best, okay? If I'm going to learn something, let my teacher be the best there is. Got a picture for you. Right here, here's a picture right there, wow. One of these, this is at uh, Founders Ranch outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was there just this past week shooting in the world, the world championship of cowboy action shooting. But, yeah, it's about, listen, it's about 700 shooters there from all over the world, literally. On, on my posse, 20, 20 people on our posse, there was a guy from New Zealand, and uh, he, 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 he had a woman there from uh, Puerto Rico, and then there was an Australian, uh, the Kiwi kid from Australia, he was on the posse. So literally, people from all over the world were shooting at Founders Ranch outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico this past week. Now, one of these two guys, this, this young man was on my posse, one of these two guys right here is the 2017 world champion cowboy shooter. One of these two guys is the fastest cowboy shooter in the world. And it's not the guy in the red shirt. Because that's me, all right? That's not me. But it's, it's my buddy there, uh, Matt Black. His real name is Dylan. His cowboy name is Matt Black. He is the current world champion. The results are going to be in today for, for 2018's world championship. And I'm sure Matt Black won it again. He is stinking fast when it comes to cowboy action shooting. In fact, if you want to see how fast he is, YouTube Matt Black. and, and you can, Not right now. <laughs> Don't do it right now. You can see how fast this, this, this young man is. 19 years old uh, from Texas. And, and he, he, let me tell you. Cowpoke, you've seen it. He's awesome. He is super fast. In fact, he was every, we shot 12 stages. Every stage, uh, he would shoot right before I did. It would be him, then this lady, and then myself. We just kind of got in this routine. That's the way we shot. And I would watch him from the loading table shoot. And, and whatever he shot the stage in, you could probably add five seconds to it, and that would be my time. Now, I'm not a bad shooter. Uh, out of 700, I, I may finish in the top 60. That, that's not too bad. But th 
This is how fast this guy is. He shot one stage in 10 seconds. That's 24 shots in 10 seconds. That's stinking fast. And I, I knew when he shot it in 10 seconds, add at least five seconds to it, and it's my time, and it was. I shot it in 15, which is it's pretty stinking fast, too. Right? But this kid, Matt, like, is the best. He's the best. Now, can a 57-year-old old man learn anything from a 19-year-old kid? You better believe it. And so when they read the stage descriptions at each stage, I would watch Matt, and he was mentally going through how he's going to shoot the, the stage, and I'd watch him, then I'd walk up to him and say, okay, Matt, how are you going to shoot this one? And he would tell me how he was going to shoot it, and how, he, shoot it and how he's going to move from one gun to another in transition. And guess what? I shot it the same way, just five seconds slower, all right? And so throughout the three-day event, I was picking Matt's brain. I was talking to him about his mental disposition before each stage and what he was thinking about and, and how he was shot so fast. And then I asked his dad who was there what their philosophy for shooting this, this year was. And I learned so much. So you know what? It is cool to learn from the best. And my point is this. Today, we get to learn from the best. Jesus himself is going to teach us how to interact with people so that we can share with them the good news of the gospel. So you want to learn from the best? Let's do it today, Luke chapter 19. Here's the first thing that we see. Jesus notices people that others ignore. And if we want to learn what our mission is in helping Jesus seek and to save the lost we need to understand this is the way Jesus approaches people. Jesus notices people that the rest of us ignore. Look at verse 1 again. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was, he was rich. So we're introduced to this man who worked for the RRS, the Roman Revenue Service, all right? He was a tax collector. His name was Zacchaeus. And you know what? He's one of the better known personalities in the Bible. If you grew up in church, in kids' church, in Sunday school, you learned a little song about Zacchaeus. How many of you know the song about Zacchaeus? Let me see your hand. Come on. Let me see your hand. I'm going to sing it. Only if you'll sing it with me. All right? Can, can we do that? Let, let's sing that song together. Some of y'all hadn't sung this song in years, so, so let's sing it. You ready? And if you know the motions, bring them on. You ready? A one, a two. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Don't you love it? Man, I love that song. That was all. That was all. So you know the song about Zacchaeus, but what you don't know is what his name means. His name, Zacchaeus, means pure and righteous. Yeah, that's what I say about it. Let me tell you, he, he, he wasn't anything that is pure and righteous before he met Jesus. But God had a plan for his life. Jericho, where all of this happened, 
was one of the wealthiest cities in the region. It was a great commercial center, which means that the government would get its cut as well. Some things haven't changed, have they? And where there is a potential source of tax revenue, there is a tax man. And in this case, we are introduced to the chief tax collector. His name is Zacchaeus. And again, he was wealthy. Some translations use that word wealthy. Others use the word rich. If I were translating it, I would say he was stinking rich. This guy had a lot of cash. Now, tax collectors were among the most hated people in Jewish society. The country was under the domination of the Roman Empire who taxed the nation and then they used that taxation money to supply the army who occupied the land. And tax collectors helped the Romans to do this. So tax collectors were considered traitors. So it was almost like a double hatred to these people. They not only took your money, they were traitors as well. The taxation system was a mess, and it was filled with all kinds of abuse. Does that sound familiar? The Romans would designate how much revenue would come from a particular district, and then they would sell the rights for someone to collect that revenue to the highest bidder. So the tax collector was obligated to give the Roman government the designated amount. But if they could get more out of the people than that, they would simply pocket the difference. Common people like you and I didn't know exactly what the Roman tax rate was, so they left it pretty much to the mercy of the tax collector to tell them what they owed. Now, if you weren't able to pay your taxes, some tax collectors were happy to loan you the money at a high rate of interest. So they were basically loan sharks as well. So you can only imagine how despised these tax collectors were. And Zacchaeus, he was the bigwig. He was the chief tax collector. And he was very wealthy because of it. He had climbed the ladder to the top And on the way, he had stepped on a whole lot of common people. Therefore, it's understandable that in the eyes of the average Jew, a tax collector was in the category of a thief or a murderer. In fact, some Bible translations use the word scum to describe them. Now look at verse 3. And he was seeking to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was of small stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For Jesus was about to pass that way. Now we can only guess why Zacchaeus was eager to see Jesus that day. Was it merely curiosity? Well, perhaps. But in the verses preceding our story here in Luke's gospel, Luke tells us about another man right outside of the city of Jericho, who was waiting for Jesus to pass by. He too had heard of Jesus. And when he heard that Jesus was approaching, this man cried out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was a blind man. He couldn't see, but he heard Jesus coming. And so he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
People around him tried to shut him down and keep him from crying out to Jesus, but he cried out the louder. He knew that Jesus could make a difference in his life, and that's why he sought the attention of Jesus. You know what? Jesus obliged. He stopped and he healed the blind man. Now, I really don't know, but perhaps perhaps Zacchaeus had heard that story. News traveled fast in those towns, and maybe he heard the story of the blind man. And so he ran to find Jesus. There was some longing that drove Zacchaeus up a tree. Literally, all right? Maybe he was lonely. And as lonely as he was wealthy. Rich in money but poor in friends. He had heard that this Jesus had gained a reputation as being a friend to sinners and tax collectors. And so he was looking for Jesus. I can just imagine Zacchaeus trying to squeeze through that crowd. Uh, He was a short man, and so he was struggling in in that regard. Uh, But it was also coupled with the fact that, I mean, if if you were there and you saw this tax guy coming, maybe you'd give him a hip or an elbow as he tried to squeeze through the crowd. But but he did his best to to make it through the crowd. He realized he he wasn't going to be able to see Jesus, so what did he do? He found a sycamore tree and climbed up in the tree so that he could see Jesus when he passed by. Now look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And here's my point. Jesus noticed Zacchaeus. Not only did Jesus notice him, Jesus knows Zacchaeus. Jesus notices people that the rest of us ignore. Just think about the people that we pass every single day. Do we really notice them? Let me tell you, Jesus does. Jesus doesn't just see a crowd. Jesus sees you. Right now, this very moment, Jesus is looking down from heaven. And Jesus sees this group of people at Kavanaugh Church at 2825 Grinnell in Fort Smith, Arkansas, 72908. He he sees this crowd. But you know what? More than that, he sees you. Jesus knows you. And if we are to be involved with Jesus as he seeks and saves those who are lost, it's going to take us to notice people as Jesus notices them. You know, now I'm not anything, but I can tell you, one of my prayers every morning as I'm praying to the Lord is, Lord, please give me eyes to see people as you see people. And I think that's a key. We need to see other people as God sees them. And when we see people as God sees them, God is going to, he's going to tug our heart and say, see that guy over there? They have a need. See that lady over there? You need to talk to her. And if we have eyes like God's eyes, we will see those people that others ignore. Lesson number one. Number two, Jesus engages people that others reject. Look at verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and get down from that tree because I'm going to hang out at your house today. Now, Notice that that Jesus doesn't just notice Zacchaeus. Jesus engages Zacchaeus. Listen to the wording carefully. He said, make haste 
and come down. For today I must stay at your house. And that little word must signals to us that Jesus was on a mission. Jesus didn't want to just get into Zacchaeus' house. He wanted to get into Zacchaeus' heart. Now look at verse 6. So Zacchaeus jumped out of the tree and hurried. He came down and he received Jesus what? Joyfully. This, This was really more than Zacchaeus had hoped for. I mean, this is really turning out pretty cool. Zacchaeus just hoped to see Jesus, but you know what? Jesus saw him and stopped and engaged him, had a conversation with him. And he said, come on down, I need to go to your house so that we can hang out together. And so he jumps out of the tree and he welcomed Jesus joyfully. Now, that word joyfully literally means with rejoicing. There was rejoicing going on in Zacchaeus' heart. In fact, it is the same word that Jesus used repeatedly in a string of parables he told in Luke chapter 15. Remember the stories about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. In those stories, when the shepherd found the lost sheep, there was rejoicing. When the woman lost one of her five precious coins and then found it, there was rejoicing. And when the prodigal son came back home, the father threw a party and there was rejoicing. Same word. But on this occasion, not everybody is rejoicing. Look at verse 7. And when they saw it, Who's the they? Church people, religious people. When they saw it, they all grumbled. Here's what they said. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And the murmur started in the crowd. The whispering started through the crowd. He's gone to be a guest in the home of a sinner. Can you believe that? Now, let me just set the table straight here. Sinners were a class of people that were completely disregarded, despised, and rejected by others. If you were in that class, it's a bad thing. Okay? It's a bad thing to be a sinner. And you know what? Tax collectors were always in that group. You know, the, the, we read over and over in the New Testament, sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors... Scum, bad people, tax collectors. It's a bad group to be in. So here's what I want you to see. There is joy in the hearts of Jesus and Zacchaeus. They are rejoicing. Why? Because this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to seek and to save lost people. Here's little Zacchaeus. He's as lost as lost can be. And Jesus engages him. And saves him. And Zacchaeus is joyful. And Jesus is joyful. (laughs) But they're the only ones who are joyful. There is no joy in the hearts of the grumpy religious people. Who, number one, hated the fact that Jesus spent time with people like Zacchaeus. And utterly detested, number two, the fact that people like Zacchaeus could actually receive salvation and get saved. 
Isn't that pathetic? I mean, really, think about this. Isn't that pathetic? Let's, let's review. What was Jesus' mission? To seek and to save lost people. He's assigned that task to us, the church. But sometimes the church acts like these grumpy religious people and we ignore lost people. Why? Because they're not like us. They don't look like us. They don't dress like us. They don't act like us. And God forbid if one of them comes in here and tries to worship with us. I mean, dude, what are we thinking? I opened my mouth first service and told this story. I probably shouldn't tell it again, but you know what? I'm, I'm just right here on the edge about to fall off. In another church I pastored years ago, uh, it's kind of, kind of a... Uh, uh, I don't want to say they were legalistic, but it was just it was old-fashioned church, and uh, uh, they had a gym. Until I got there, no one had ever worn shorts into that gym. I mean, if you went and played ball, you wore sweats, okay? You, you, you didn't, it wasn't allowed to wear shorts. In the sanctuary, uh, there, the, the, a, a female had never been into that sanctuary in anything other than a dress or a skirt. They didn't allow... Ladies to come in in pants or shorts or anything like that. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it was, okay? And, and really, I didn't fit there very well, <laughs> okay? One day, I was, I was out at a hardware store, and I, I ran into this guy and met him for the first time, and we got to talking, and I told him, you know, what I did and asked him where he went to church, and he, he had never been to church. I said, well, you've never been to church ever? And he said, nope, never been to church. I said, well, dude, come to my church. It's right over there, and I told him where it was, and I said, on Sunday morning, you come, you're going to be my guest, and, and I want you to come to my church. And guess what? Lo and behold, he showed up. I couldn't believe it. He came in, and service had already started, and, and you know, it was a shotgun church, and, and it was packed. It was always packed on Sunday morning. There was just a place left up at the front, and here he came in, and, and he was dressed just the way he was when I saw him earlier in the week because it's all the guy had. He had a pair of jeans and some boots, and, and he was wearing a T-shirt, and he was wearing a ball cap. <laughs> He'd never been to church before. And he walks in, and he comes down, and he sits on the front, and let me tell you, the rubbernecking that was going on. After church, I found him and said, dude, man, I'm so, I'm so glad you came. What did you think about church? And he says, well, I'll never be back. I said, really? Well, why's that? He said, well, one of your church ladies <laughs> came up to me and looked me up and down and said, just want you to know we don't dress that way here. I said, dude, hey, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you come back. He said, nah, I, I, don't, I don't need this. Now, I know who the lady was. And, and honestly, Jason, I'm, I'm standing way over here when I say this. I, I, wanted, <laughs> I wanted to give her a holy slap that morning. I tell you, just wacky. Or as my daddy used to say, give her one right between the running lights. <laughs> Can you believe? You know, we, we act that way. We, do, we act that way. For some reason, after we get saved and indoctrinated, we, for some reason, we become religious snobs. Honestly, I don't care what a person looks like when they get here, how they act when they get here, how they're living when they get here. What I hope, listen, 
What I hope and what I pray is that this good news of the gospel will so change them that when they leave, they're a different person than when they came. And that's what's going on here. That's what's going on. Jesus had compassion on this guy. And even though he was a sinner, Jesus noticed him and he engaged him. And then number three, Jesus changes people that others give up on. (laughs) Isn't that good? Jesus changes people that others give up on. Jesus doesn't just seek them and notice them and engage them. Jesus saves them and he changes them. Just look at the change that happened to Zacchaeus. Verse number 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded and cheated anyone of anything, I am going to restore it fourfold. Now, do you know what Zacchaeus is doing here? Let me tell you what Zacchaeus is doing. Zacchaeus is confessing and he is repenting. That verbiage is not used, but that is exactly what he is doing. He is saying, you know what? I was lost, Jesus. I didn't know any better. I was cheating people. I was stealing from people. I was going the wrong way in my life, but now I've met you, and you have changed the direction of my life. Church, listen to me. Our faith is evidenced by repentance. That's where it begins. No one is saved until they repent of their sins. I trust Jesus Christ enough to turn from my old way of life and I walk in a different direction. Literally, when we repent and confess, we do a 180 and we're headed in the opposite direction. And I want you to notice this. Zacchaeus does all of this publicly. He spoke this to the crowd. He stands up and he makes that announcement. And you know what? That is exactly what Jesus wants. Jesus never has called us to be secret disciples. He always calls us to go public with our faith. From the very get-go, after we get saved, the first thing that we are to do is to be baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. It is an outward testimony to the world of what has happened to you inwardly. Now Zacchaeus went far beyond what was required in the Jewish laws to make restitution. And he showed his deeds, that he showed us that he was a changed man by his deeds. His time with Jesus changed his life. In fact, these are not just good intentions of empty words that he spoke to Jesus. When he said, I give and I will pay back, both of those verbs are in the present tense. That means he had already started doing that that very moment. Now look at verse 9. Jesus said back to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since you also are a son of Abraham. You see, that day something happened to Zacchaeus. Salvation came into his life. Salvation came into his home. That's important to note. Because look at me. Everybody look at me. You You don't just sort of ease into a relationship with Jesus. That's not the way it happens. 
Yes, it is a growing relationship, but it all starts at a singular point in time when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Are you with me? You don't just ease into it. You get saved. At a point in time, you repent of your sins and you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let me illustrate this. Ask me how I know that Angie is my wife. Go ahead. Well, to answer that, I don't just say, well, you know, oh, Angie and I met at college. We started dating. We fell in love. Then we moved in with each other. We've had three kids together. Uh, we're about to be empty nesters, but you know, we still love each other even to this day. If I said that, what I'm doing is leaving out one very important detail. And the detail is this. On May the 14th, 1983, we got married. We stood at the altar of the Norman First Free Will Baptist Church, and I said, wilt thou? And she wilted. I mean, just right there. And we got married. I know when that happened. May 14th, 1983. Now, I don't know the exact date that I got saved. And maybe you don't know either. You can't remember it. I was only six years old. But I remember the event like it happened yesterday. The Sunday night, Westside Freehold Baptist Church, Midland, Texas, E.E. E. Zellers got up that night and preached an hour and a half sermon on hell. And it was hot in that place. And I was a little six-year-old boy sitting back there with my mom and dad. And you know what? Instead of playing tic-tac-toe, I was listening to what he said. And it scared me. So much that I went down to the altar and he came. I remember him coming down there, big old E.E. Zellers. And he said, William, what can I pray with you about? I said, I don't want to go to hell. He said, son, you don't have to. And he took me through the Romans road to salvation. And even though I was six years old, I knew exactly what he was talking about because my parents had been bringing me to church my whole life. We'd been having family devotions every night. We'd been praying. I'd been in church. I knew heaven and hell. I knew Jesus was the Savior. And even though I wasn't a theologian back then, I knew enough to get saved. And so he led me to the Lord. I can't tell you the exact date that I, that happened, but I do remember the event like it was yesterday. And maybe you're here today, and you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, I just can't recall that particular event. Guys, what I am afraid of is that there are a whole lot of people coming to church today who are deceived into thinking they are saved simply because they know about Jesus. And they grew up in church. Don't presume that you can just move in with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. There has to be an event that involves a faith moment and a faith commitment on your part when you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my life. It's got to happen. That same church I was talking about, there's... there's not all bad happened there. There's some good things that happened in that church. I was, I was preaching one Sunday morning about this very thing, that you've, you've got to 
commit to Jesus. There has to be a, a crisis event in your life when you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's not good enough just to grow up in church, to have a lineage of Christians in your church. It doesn't matter if your daddy was a preacher or your uncle's a missionary. You've got to have your own relationship with Jesus. That's what I preached that morning. Sunday night, right before service, there was a knock on my door, and this little old man came into my office. He had been in that church for years. In fact, at one time, he had led the music in that church. And he sat down across from me, and he said, Preacher, I heard your message this morning, and all day long I've been thinking about that. And he said, You know, I've been a part of this church almost my entire adult life, but I cannot remember a time when I did what you talked about this morning and invited Jesus into my life. He says, now I know the Bible. I could quote verses to you. I never miss a service. But I don't think that, in fact, I know in my mind, there was never a time when I surrendered my life to Jesus. Can you believe that? It happened. And so I said, okay, here's what we got to do. And I explained it again to him. And we knelt down right there at my desk and he invited Jesus Christ into his heart. That amazing? Just a few years ago, the family called me back and asked me if I'd come and do his funeral. And I was glad to do it. And I told them that story. And you know what? I know he's in heaven today. Why? Because there was a moment in time in which he believed. And that, that's got to be the case for all of us. Zacchaeus is now in the family of God. Salvation has come. He's saved. Why? Well, it's not because he gave half his money away. No, Jesus said he is now a son of Abraham. Now, Abraham was a believer. He trusted God. And that's the way you get saved. It's by trusting in Jesus Christ. Not from coming from a certain lineage. Not by giving money to a church or an organization. Not just simply because you're doing other good deeds. All of those are a result of salvation. They don't save you. Trusting in Jesus saves you. And now look at verse 10. We come back to where we started. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The lost. That's the way the Bible refers to people who are without God. People who are separated from God. They are lost. Now, what happens when something or someone is lost? Well, they're in the wrong place. <laughs> and spiritually, here's what's happening. God is, is over here, and a lost person is over there. This lost person's in the wrong place. He is in a wrong place relationally because he's not in relation to the one who created him. But he's also in a wrong place eternally. What, one more verse that you got to see, and then we're going to shut her down. This verse is in John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's all it says. Believes. you got to believe. you got to believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you invite Jesus into your heart, you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. Woo, that's good. Because look at the rest of the verse. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. You say, well, okay, well, I've never rejected the Son. Well, if you haven't believed, you have rejected. Okay, that, that's what it means. What, what, what do you have to do to go to hell? Nothing. 
Because if you don't believe, you're going to hell. Whoever rejects the Son is not going to see life. Why? Because God's wrath is on that person. We're about to give an invitation, and there's, there's two parts of this invitation. Listen very carefully. If that is you, please, please, don't leave this building until you believe. Amen. Dude, I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to be separated from God. You must believe. And listen, it's not enough. It's not good enough. Just that you're a good person or that you come to church or that you put money in the offering plate or that your uncle is a preacher. <laughs> it's not going to cut it, man. You've got to believe. So if you haven't believed, would you come this morning? We'll show you how. But the second part of that invitation is this. If you don't believe... You're under God's wrath. You're lost. And I guarantee you, everyone in this room, every one of us has lost family members. We have lost friends. Do you understand this morning that your lost family members and friends are in grave danger? They're lost. That's serious. Because if somebody doesn't tell them, if somebody doesn't love them, they're going to go to hell. Now, Jesus doesn't want that. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. How's he going to do it? <laughs> How's he going to do it, church? Listen to me. There is no plan B. So if we don't love them and if we don't tell them, they're doomed. I don't know what that does to you, but man, that, that just grips my gut and it breaks my heart. And you know what, church? Maybe our hearts need to be broken. Because if they're going to hear, it's got to be you that tells them.